Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. We are taking a one-month break from producing new episodes, so we are going to take the next month or so to revisit a few of our most popular episodes. We've got a back catalog of over 150 episodes, including the old Illuminate podcast episodes for all of you longtime listeners. So why are we taking a break for the next several weeks? Well, first of all, we're just trying to practice what we preach, and we're going to take good care of ourselves. We're pretty tired. We've been working really hard on an exciting major upgrade to the podcast, and we cannot wait to share it with you. But we need a few more weeks to get ready for this launch, and we want to do things in balance. Now, we do not want you to miss any of the upcoming announcements. So if you're not already subscribed to my weekly newsletter that I send out via email, then make sure you go to the show notes and click on the link there so you can sign up for it. Every single week, I write a personal message to everyone. I also share my latest relationship column, the latest podcast, and any announcements that are coming up. There's all kinds of great stuff in this weekly newsletter, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a thing. Okay, well, let's jump right in, and I hope you'll enjoy this episode from... I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, From Crisis to Connection. Each week on this podcast, my guests and I will give you and your loved ones resources and tools to heal from the crises of infidelity, pornography, abusive behaviors, and betrayal trauma. But we also talk about how to build and maintain healthy connection in your most important relationships. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's so good to be with you once again. As always, I love knowing that you're on the other side of this microphone, listening, learning, trying to improve your most important relationships. I have got a great episode for you today. In fact, I'm going to break this one into two parts. So today we're going to do part one of my interview with Hank Smith. Some of you may know his work. He's an author. He's a public speaker. He's just done a lot of great stuff to help inspire and motivate people. And today we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to his heart, which is rebuilding trust or just trust in relationships. And it was super fun to discover that Hank has done a lot of work on this and actually studied this for his doctoral dissertation. And I said, when I was talking to him, I said, Hank, like I've done the exact same thing. I've totally studied trust and worked with trust and built courses around trust. And it's something I care deeply about as well. And so we decided to talk about it today. And so we're going to talk about trust in relationships, trust building principles, and everything related to that. And we get into some great, great stuff. And Hank's done a great job in his dissertation work of breaking these things down into different acronyms and more measurable ways to rebuild trust. And so I just love the stuff that he shares. And just in his uh, you know, typical Hank Smith style, great stories, lots of humor, really uplifting. And you know, for a topic that can be pretty heavy and pretty difficult, but a lot of really important clear, hard-hitting stuff that I think will make a big difference for your relationships. And so let me tell you a little bit about Hank before we dive in too deeply here. He is a professor at Brigham Young University, 
And he also grew up here in St. George, which is super cool. It's where we live. And he's an assistant professor of ancient scripture at BYU. And he has a podcast. He does a lot of speaking and writing. And he speaks a lot to his audiences for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But he does a lot of speaking in businesses and other kinds of groups as well. And he speaks to tens of thousands of youth and adults each year. And uh, he's married to Sarah. They've got five kids. And I'll put links to all his uh, great stuff, his social media and other things that he's doing so you can find him easily. But anyway, let's jump right into my great discussion about trust with Hank Smith. Well, welcome to the podcast, Hank. Thanks so much for making time for us today. Absolutely, Jeff. Wouldn't miss it. Thanks for having me. So uh, I just learned that you uh, studied trust for your doctoral dissertation. Yeah. And when I went, oh, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say that got my attention. So it's something I definitely love talking about. So tell me about that. Right. When I heard what you do, I thought, hey, let's talk trust. This is my <laughs> favorite topic. Although if you want to ruin your favorite topic, you go get a dissertation on it, right? Because <laughs> like having the same meal every day for five years, oh, you're going, I, I don't like this anymore. But <laughs> I, I took about a year off. I did a project on happiness and now I can come back to trust and go, okay. So yeah, my dissertation started around 2008. My PhD work uh, was I decided to focus on high trust relationships in schools and the same principles apply to marriages, families, businesses. Yeah. yeah trust is trust. And, and so your, your specific focus was on like trust between educators and students. Right. It was actually between teachers and principals. Oh, okay. Uh, because yeah, we, I was looking at uh, just real quick. I was just looking at the, the impact of a principal on teacher, yeah, on student, uh, student achievement and trust in the principal seems to be the primary factor when it comes to how much a teacher can use their, uh, you know, abilities, their natural gifts to teach students, the principal really has an effect. So I talk about that with parenting. Oh yeah, you know, marriage. It's all it's all the same ideas. Principal's job is to arouse enthusiasm, and that enthusiasm needs to channel down to the teacher, so they'll you know tap into their natural gifts. So the same things with the spouse, right? We want to arouse enthusiasm in our spouse that has them, you know, they automatically channel into their gifts. Yeah. Start using them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely want to dive into that. I mean, so much of this audience and the folks that I work with and and I'm talking to are coming to me because there's been a major breach in trust, generally in marriage, but sometimes it's with, you know, their family, their parents, a sibling, other people in their lives. But the bulk of it is, is in that sacred, special bond, right? This primary bond where this person's supposed to have your back and you're supposed to be able to let down your guard. And then all of a sudden you're just totally looking out for yourself now. And it's just so disruptive. And so I'd love to hear just as we dive into this, as you, you know, I know I've never written a dissertation, but I understand, I mean, I wrote a thesis, but I understand you have to operationalize a lot of things as you're starting to get into research and define terms and things like that. And I'd love to hear from you just as you think about trust and this word that we throw around a lot, how do you operationalize that, conceptualize that? How do you define it really? Oh, I would love to. If we get, let's do uh, 12 hours uh, and then <laughs> I know I we'll have a, we'll have a good start at that point. No, there's so much, there's so much to talk about. I think to start, I would tell most people, listen, trust is, it comes down to really four facets. And if someone were to say, Hey, I don't trust you. It's usually one of these four things. Okay. Compassion, which means I don't think you have my best interests in mind, right? Compassion is I love you. I want to help you. 
I'm putting you as a priority, right? So if I don't trust you, maybe it's, mm, you don't care about me. You say you care about me. It's kind of like that typical used car salesman, like, I want to help you. And you're going, I don't think you want to help me, right? You want to help you. Yeah. So that's compassion. Openness is the next one. You have to have an acronym by the time you graduate. So mine was <laughs> CORE, C-O-R-E, CORE. So compassion, openness. This idea is like you share with me information. You're not withholding information from me. You know, that when I say I trust you, it means that, yeah, if there's a piece of information, you know that I would want that you're sharing it with me. You're not hiding anything, ulterior motives. Openness is also the idea that you're open to getting feedback from me. That's part of Mm. we trust each other, right? Is that you're open to, hey, you know, I can tell you something and you don't, I'm not walking on eggshells, right? I can say, hey, Jeff, you know what you said there, that kind of hurt my feelings. And Jeff, you don't blow up, right? Part of trusting you is that you're, you're open to that. The next one is reliability, which means you're great sometimes, right? Like (laughs) I need you to be reliable. I always use Old Faithful with this one. Old Faithful is not the tallest geyser in Yellowstone National Park. Steamboat is, but no one goes to Steamboat because no one has any idea when Steamboat's going to erupt. Everyone goes to Old Faithful. (laughs) Why? Because it's faithful, right? So reliability has to do with predictability that, you know, we love variety in our marriages because we love reliability so much right? (laughs) Because I want it to be the same, the same, the same. And then every once in a while, let's do something fun and different. But predictability is important. And then the last one is these first three, compassion, openness, and reliability. These are kind of character issues, right? Mm -hmm. But the last one is more of a competency issue. I trust you because you know what you're doing. I call it expertise, but you could call it competence. uh, But that just really wouldn't work for the acronym, right? So I had to use core. (laughs) So uh Expertise is the idea that I trust you, you know, because you know how to drive this car. So, right, I'll say, yeah, I trust Jeff. He can, he can take the car because it's not that he's, yeah, I care that he cares and he's open and reliable, but he's got to have the skill set, right, uh, to drive the car. So that's expertise. So usually if someone were to say, hey, I don't trust my principal, I don't trust my spouse, I don't trust my child, it usually comes down to one of those four things. I don't trust them because they're, they don't care. I don't trust them because they're not open. I don't trust them because they're just not reliable. They're great. Sometimes they're like steamboat geyser. Every once in a while they come through and then the rest of the time I'm on my own or I don't trust them because they don't know what they're doing. Expertise. And if we can narrow that down for people, then it's not so vague, right? If right. They say, I just trust them. Well, why? And if someone says, if I can point out these four, then we can work on that one. Right? We can work on compassion and openness and reliability. We can work on expertise, getting you a better skill set and uh, trust will increase. Yeah. And in your research, I love that, by the way. And I love acronyms. I mean, who doesn't? They're so easy. Yeah, it helps. <laughs> I know. It really does. And in your research, did you find that in rebuilding trust with people that generally it was like some combination of all four or could you really just be missing one area? Yeah. No, I think it's always... You know, they overlap in so many different ways because you're open because you care, right? Mm -hmm. You're reliable because you care. So a compassion is the big one. Uh, Usually that one, you know, if you can get that one, the rest usually come with it because people care enough to put in the time and effort to do the others. So yeah, there's, there's quite a bit of, there's quite a bit of overlap, but sometimes, you know, especially with expertise, you can be really kind, Jeff, you can be really kind and really open and 
just super reliable, but have no idea what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to trust you. Right. 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 Um, you know, I, I always use this example. I say, when we had our twins, they were our fourth and fifth baby. I said, Hey, Sarah, we could save a lot of money. Let's just do this at home, right? Let's just deliver these babies right here. I'll do it. I've seen this done three times. Uh, I could do this. <laughs> and she said, no. And I said, what's wrong? Don't you trust me? And she said, no, I don't trust you. Now, what <laughs> does she not trust, right? She she knows I care about her. She knows I'll be open. She knows I'll be reliable. She just, I don't have the skill set, right? So that one can be a lone, kind of a lone wolf. Yeah. But the others, I think, come together. Yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, because the other ones, like you said, those are all based on character. And it's hard to sort of have one piece of that missing and have them not all tie together somehow. Although Mm -hmm. I will say that some people just haven't thought about how unreliable they are, right? That (laughs) and and it just comes down to maybe being and maybe they are really caring and they are open. They just don't see that they're sometimes there and sometimes not. You know, so I think probably not in my experience, it's usually a husband, right? Not a wife who just doesn't see that, you know, I'll be home at five often doesn't mean I'll be home at five. And I'm like, you can't rely on that, right? Well, that's not a big deal. It actually is a big deal that Mm -hmm. you come home when you say you're going to come home. And if you're not, then let's make sure everybody knows why and when I do that. I was doing that for a long time before my wife finally said, listen, do you mean 530? Do you mean six? Do you mean six? Right? Like, and that was just reliability. So sometimes, yeah, I think they can be, <laughs> they can be just one thing that, that someone just needs to be made aware of. Maybe that has to do with openness and blind spots, right? Being made aware of our blind spots. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think about reliability too. And yeah, this is a huge one that I think a lot of people struggle with. And I certainly have as well. And so many times the defense for that is, is always like, well, I'm, I love you. I'm a good guy. Like I have good intentions. Like, or look at all these other times I've delivered, right? Look at all these other kind of great geyser moments where I've totally blown up and, and it's been super dazzling. Doesn't that mean anything to you? And it and I I think about reliability and it's like, I love what you said earlier, like we love spontaneity, we love surprises, but only because those are the exception. Right. If that was your life, exception. I've seen that when it's, when that is like the norm, that is not fun. Yeah. You never know what you're going to get. Never. I need to be able to predict your behavior because I've got to build my life around it. Right. Yeah, I've got to that's be, it. I'm built... With a spouse, I have to build my life around your behavior. So it better be predictable to a, a pretty high degree, right? That I know that yeah. this comes through. And if you're not, like you said earlier, Jeff, when someone feels vulnerable, they go immediately to self-protection. So that's the problem is with when trust gets really low, everybody goes into, everybody feels vulnerable. And mm-hmm. then we start protecting ourselves and friction goes up. And, uh, you know, in a business, when I go to, when I go to speak to different businesses, you know, some people are spending two of their eight hours looking for a new job because oh my they're God. going into self-protection, right? They're going into, I've got to protect myself and my own, my own interests. But when people feel that trust in the room, they kind of open up and they say, okay, well, let's all work on the goals. Yeah. So I've seen the same thing uh, in schools, in marriages, that trust can ease things up. And then you're like, oh, okay, let's, what do we want to do? Let's move forward. And I think trust is one of those things I see this a lot in my work and also just in my own life. Trust is one of those things that just kind of runs quietly in the background until it doesn't. Yep. It's That's exactly right. I call it the oil, the oil in the engine, uh, right? You just, yep. yeah, you're like, things are fine. What's wrong? And then uh, the oil starts to run out. And there are what I call low oil indicators. You yeah. know how your car light comes on and mm-hmm. says, hey, it's time to change it. But we still push it, right? We still go, well, I can go I know a little my car. bit further. <laughs> right. I can go a little bit further, a little bit further. And there's a point where you've gone too far. 
and you've broken the car, right? Well, I think you can have, there's some low trust indicators in business and marriage, like jumping to conclusions, you know, when things heat up really fast. If I say to my wife, Hey, you look really nice today. And she says, what is that supposed to mean? I'm like, okay, (laughs) Uh, things got hot really quick, right? That usually means oil is low. Now it doesn't mean you have to get rid of your car, right? It just means, Hey, there's some low oil indicators. Let's focus on right. building trust. Time to pop the hood and see what the trust. heck just yeah, happened. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are some other low trust indicators? I love that concept. And, yeah, I'll, and the I'll just- oil light. Yeah. The oil light. I mean, I, I've seen that as well. It's to me, it's like when I'm surprised in my relationship with my wife, when all of a sudden something comes up where I'm like, huh, I didn't see that coming or I didn't realize that or something, like you said, something gets hot really quickly. Something just starts to smoke a little bit. Right. And that can be a million different things. I mean, in your experience, I feel like for me, it's like there's always some sort of one of these four is going on. Uh, in my that's exactly right. And it's usually because, and in my marriage, I don't know about anyone else's, right? But in my marriage, I'm a pretty busy guy. And if you talk to my love language is not time spent together. Well, my wife's love language is time spent together. And I, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, we spent time together and we were dating, right? We've got other things we have to do now. <laughs> Uh, but she wants to spend time with me. So when things get hot really quick, I can almost always look back and go, oh, wow, I have not really, you know, invested in spending time with her. I've been gone speaking for a couple of weekends in a row. I've got a couple other things going on and I can look back and go, wow, when's the last time we actually went out and enjoyed some time together? That, oh, it's usually been, you know, four weeks or five weeks. And I'm like, okay. And I start to cancel some things and say, let's spend some time together. And it's just like adding oil to the car. Things yeah. come back and we're, we're, you know, things come back to normal. If I was smarter, I'd be keeping a closer eye, right? On right. The reliability, right? You'd be- oil. Yeah. <laughs> if I was smarter, I would, I would do that. Although we get better through the years, right? I'm a better yeah. husband than I was 10 years ago. Oh, 100%. And I think, I know this is the case for me and a lot of the couples I work with. It's usually variations on a theme. I mean, it's, it's usually like the indicators are usually going to be, you know, because they're tied into who we are, how we're wired, our backgrounds, mm-hmm. our, our tendencies. And so I know for me, a lot of, I would say of those four, the one that I that probably trip up on the most is the reliability in terms of just because I can be somewhat impulsive or random or forgetful or disorganized. Right. And so that can create things that where my wife is just like a steady rudder right down the middle, right? Super reliable. <laughs> and, you know, and so I know generally when I start to feel some heat or some smokes coming up, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. And yeah, like you said, we're get, I'm getting better. I'm catching it earlier. I'm working on my blind spots. And of course, my wife has her blind spots as well. And every couple right. does. But when you're really looking at conflict in relationships, I agree. A lot of it does come down to not feeling secure or safe in one of these areas. Yep, that's exactly right. And cars don't usually have like good oil lights, right? Like <laughs> there's not a, a light in my car that says, good job. You're doing great. But marriages do, I think. I think when you're having fun, when you're, you, when you, in, you just enjoy time together, yeah. when you're helping each other, when, you know, I can tell when Sarah and I are, are doing well is that we're texting a lot more. Cause sometimes if I'm not reliable, like you said, the texts stop coming. Cause she's going to rely on, you know, uh, somebody else to help her out with this thing yeah. that she's got going on. And, and so with the, if the texts are flying through the day, these are all high oil indicators, yeah. right? That, that things are, things are going well. So you can kind of gauge if you just be more mindful, right? That's the key of watching for these indicators. 
then it's kind of like spinning plates. You just focus on this one for a little while and get it going. And then you can, you can work on it. And the thing that you need to do really, I, the one, Jeff, when I got into the research, I would love to have found a shortcut to get people to trust you, right? Like I would love to say, here's all you have to do. It takes five seconds, but there just isn't one. The only way to build trust in a relationship is through interaction mm-hmm. that has four, that has four characteristics. It's got to be frequent, personal, positive, and low risk. So when trust is really low, we've got to have interaction that is frequent, personal, positive, and low risk. So it, let's say you and I just met. Now, there's going to be a little bit of trust because we're the same race and we're the same gender, right? So we actually build trust with people automatically when they are like us, right? Or you and I are at the same event. We're at the same meeting. So all of a sudden, there's a tiny bit of trust there going, well, we've got, obviously got some things in common. And if you watch a room, if you were to fill a room with strangers, that people would start congregating by race and gender. Hmm. They just automatically, or if yeah. there's some way to tell what religion someone is, that also would be one that people would automatically kind of have some common trust. But then building trust from that point is frequent interaction, meaning I, I don't see you once a year and expect that you know we're going to have any sort of trusting relationship. Frequent, right? It's got to happen a lot. Personal, meaning you know me and the jazz have a lot of frequent interaction, but they're on TV and I'm at home, so it's not very personal right? I'm their best friend. They just don't know it. Um, (laughs) Positive, meaning everybody leaves the interaction feeling like, hey, that was great. You know, what a nice guy, whatever. And then low risk means I don't all of a sudden put someone in a really vulnerable position. Like I'm not sitting around with my family playing games and all of a sudden say, you know, let's uh, let's talk about grades, right? That all of a sudden I went from low risk to high risk. (laughs) So in a marriage, this is date night, frequent, personal, positive, low risk. Go have some fun. You don't have to fix the world every time you're together. Just right. go out and enjoy. Go out and enjoy some time together. Frequent personal positive low risk. With my kids, it's time. It's sitting at your bedside chatting with you. Frequent personal positive low risk. Or it's going on a, a date with one of my kids, right? Frequent personal positive low risk. Same thing works in the organization. It's the manager coming through the office, frequently having some personal interaction that's positive low risk. And you'll start to see that trust come up. And then we can start working on really high trust things. But can you see, I hope everybody listening can see, if you're not willing to spend time with someone in frequent personal positive low risk interaction, there's nothing that Jeff or I could do to help. No. Like if someone were to say, I want to have a high trust relationship with my children, but I can't spend time with them. <laughs> well, I, I, I can't do that. It's just, it, right. there's no workaround. Right. Or every time we get together, I'm going to make these huge asks of them, you know, we're going to, right. I'm going to point out all the things I need from them or that they're doing wrong or, or, you know, a, or a spouse that's broken trust. You know, if you've got a husband, for example, who has damaged his wife's trust and every time he's getting together with her, he's trying to initiate sexual intimacy or something like that. It's just like, it's like, the, you put like her into high risk, situation. high risk situation, having to be vulnerable and trust right away. And it's just not going to work like that. And so, and I think that people, you know, naturally people are suspicious. I mean, just last night I was, uh, I was doing a little bit of research on, on looking for a marketing consultant and some other things I was doing online. And boy, it was like a feeding frenzy. I had all these people on this Facebook post, like just trying to like offer, offer, offer and, and commit. And it was unbelievable. But there were a couple of really smart people who just were asking some questions of me, super, right? They were just kind of checking in. It was positive. It was very personable. And it was low risk, like not asking anything of me, just asking some, and and those were the ones I kept talking to. 
Now, I haven't made a decision yet. It's just been one night, but I, I found it so fascinating that my trust, my interest in trusting these people was peaked because they didn't ask anything of me right out the gate. Right. And they kept it low risk. Super low right. risk. Yeah. That's <laughs> why some of us don't go look at cars until the car place is closed. Uh, because then we can go look at cars and no one's going to approach exactly. us and say, Hey, all of a sudden they're putting us in a, in a high kind of vulnerable position. We're like, oh, I didn't want to do this. Right. Right. I, so I would just encourage everyone when you're like, Oh, I don't need that date night. Right. Like we can skip it this week. Just, Oh, don't skip it. Just, mm -hmm. it's like an aid station and a marathon. You just don't skip an aid station. It's just going to come back to bite you every single time and keeping things low risk. You know, a parent will say to me, how come my teenager trusts her friends and not me, right? She tells her friends everything. She doesn't tell me. Well, who does she have all the frequent, personal, positive, low-risk interaction with? Her friends, right? She automatically trusts them. Right. Her interaction with you is frequent, personal, negative, and high risk, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, right. you're trying to fix me every time we're together. I just can't, I can't trust that. I don't automatically kind of put myself out there for you. So, um, you know, I'll go out with my kids and we'll just talk, right? Whatever yeah. they want to talk about. Sometimes we talk about Nintendo. Sometimes we talk about, you know, boys. Uh, it just depends on the kid, what we're, what we're going to talk about. Pokemon. And we just talk. And uh, that's, that's about it. They, I, I don't say, hey, well, now, how can you be a better kid, right? That does happen sometimes. But for this, this is just time together. We're yeah. Just, let's go do something. Let's have some fun. Right. Let's go play pickleball, right? Right, exactly. You know, it makes me think of Sue Johnson's research on attachment, and she talks a lot about just some basics of attachment that uh, they've been writing about since the 50s. And they realized that secure relationships are really based on somebody being accessible and responsive. And you can get to them easily. They're pretty consistently around. And when you need something, or when, or they either when you need something or they're anticipating your needs, they're very responsive. And that to me is sort of really captures that frequent, that personal, that positive. And the low risk part, I think is so fascinating because I mean, I'm sitting here listening to you talk about this and I'm thinking about all the asks that I've made of my kids in the last few days. And I'm like, huh, I probably need to drop down the, uh, the, the risk level a little bit for these guys and just yeah. probably just, you know, hang out and maybe ask a few uh, more uh, neutral questions or whatever, because you just kind of get in parenting mode or, you know, and even, even in my marriage. So these, these are great indicators in terms of, you know, how, I guess, how well the trust building is going. And like you said, it's, it's not like, you know, at least, at least in my marriage and family, I'm not, I'm not actively trying to rebuild a big, you know, a big chasm of broken trust Breach. here. Yep. Right. But in terms of maintenance, if these things aren't happening and being monitored on a regular basis, yeah, there's going to be some smoke. Yeah. And if you've really, if the car has been broken, if trust is gone and, and the engine's fried, you're going to have to go see someone. Who knows how to fix these things? Yeah. Uh, I have my mechanic down the street and sometimes I push the car too far. And she said, what'd you do? What did you do? And I'm like, well, Nicole, come on. I've, I, she said, oh, I told you. I told you not to do that. All right, let's get it fixed. And that's people like you, Jeff, who a couple can go to and say, we got to rebuild this. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no. there's no shame. And I don't go to the mechanic with my head down like, oh, I shouldn't. You're right. I'm a terrible individual. I just, you know, I was human again, and uh, well, I'm, but I'm going to go talk to her and she's going to help me. She fixes my car, one. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a long time. And then she has some asks of me, like, please put this type of oil in it. Please do it every three months. Please do this. And if I do the things she asks, just like your clients do of you, it starts to work again. The car starts to work again. So um, 
we don't, I, I just would hate for anyone to go, oh, I've blown it, right? I've, I've destroyed it. Yeah. I, marriages are, are a lot like people are really resilient and can really survive some trauma and come out of it. Yeah. Um, you know, this idea of unconquerable marriages, right? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been amazed at marriages that I was certain were, there's no way they could survive what had happened. Yeah. And people really slow down and start to humble themselves and start to really practice some of these things that we're talking about in a very sincere way, in a consistent way over time. And it's amazing what starts to sprout out of the ground. It's like you said, we're, we are resilient. We want connection. We want closeness. We, I mean, you know, people getting divorced or having to give up on that, that is like plan Z for most people. Yeah. You yeah. know, we will give it so many chances and try so many different ways to save it. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's generally most people, it's not their first option just to be done. Right. And you, so it's just, it, like tossing the car because the oil got low. Exactly. Right. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. We, we invest a lot in this car <laughs> and, and there's still a lot <laughs> left in it. Right. There's still, exactly. it's not, it's not trash. I would say, and you could correct me on this, would you, you would know more about this, but in breaches of trust, low risk also means, especially right there in the beginning means low demand. By the person who correct breached, right? That that I can't be. I might, I've got to keep my demands to a minimum. Now we don't want to get into, and you you would talk more about this, but we don't want to get into a parent child relationship, right? Where a spouse is kind of the parent, and I get to you know allow you to do certain things. But there is a point where you can say, "Listen, I'm going to check with you on pretty much every decision, <laughs> yeah, because I I want you to know that I just want to keep this openness there." Right. I want it to be completely open. So I might over, over share on here's where I was today. Here's what I was doing. Here's my computer. Here's my phone. Right. And it's not necessarily that you're checking on me like a parent, but I'm just kind of making this wide open for you and I'm going to keep it low demand. Right. So we can regain some of that safety. Would you say that? Yeah. That's such a fine line, isn't it? Because when there's been a breach of trust, there is an imbalance. It's, you know, I've yeah. often talked about it like a crater gets blown in the ground and, and the person who's broken the trust has to really fill in that hole to sort of get up to equal ground. Cause a lot of times they, they feel like they're in the, the one down position. And I'm like, well, in kind of a way you are like, yeah, you really did just sort of like destabilize this whole thing. And it is your <laughs> responsibility to put the legs back on this, to really stabilize it. And that is going to be a one person job. Now you might get other people to help you do that, but you can't be asking your betrayed partner to join you and just filling that right. back in because that's too big of an ask. And so, yeah, there's a high level of deference that's required. They have to be privileging the other person's feelings and their, their thoughts and their desires. And I have a lot of, I work a lot with, with men who've broken trust. And I have a lot of guys that will come to me and say, man, Jeff, am I ever going to be able to have a need or a want? Am I just going to be in the doghouse forever? Am I just going to have to always do things her way for the rest of my life? And the answer is always like, well, for now, probably. Yeah. Right. For a little bit. And if you're like demanding that today, then yeah, you'll probably never, ever be able to have a need or a want. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly. Because when you said that, I was like, oh, the question isn't whether you're going to be able to. The problem is that you're asking the question. Correct. Right. Like, I would much rather hear from someone saying, I'll do whatever it takes. Exactly. If it means I'm going to be in the doghouse for the rest of my life, I'm good. Right. I'll do whatever it takes. The yeah. I've had an attitude. I've had women um, who have been cheated on and they're, you know, they'll say to their husbands, I never, ever will get close to you again physically. Like that's never going to happen. I can't even imagine sharing a bed with you again. Never, ever. 
And their husbands are like, Jeff, I'm not going to put up. I'm not going to be in this, this sexless marriage. I'm not going to live in a relationship where nobody's going to want to be close to me. And I'm like, there's the problem right there. That high level of entitlement, that high level that believes that like you can do these things and have nothing change is a huge problem in mindset. And so, right, you're recognizing that what we're asking of our betrayed partners, what we're asking of our betrayed, what if we break trust with our children or a coworker, somebody else, we have to take the one down, the deference. We have to be very respectful and careful and allow people to have what they need initially. And I do believe that when our heart is right, when we are in a place where we have thrown off any sort of self-preservation and we're not trying to get something from them, in my experience, most people want to reciprocate. Most That's pe- where it works. Yeah. Most people want, I mean, relationships are really about the back and forth. And so nobody wants to just always have their way. That's most, you know, healthy <laughs> human beings do not want to always be the one making all the decisions or having all the needs. So it will self-correct over time, but most people don't give it the time or implement these things we're talking about to allow that natural process to happen. Yep. You're exactly right. It's a natural process that takes some work but it will naturally grow. You feed those roots mm-hmm. and the fruit will grow. We don't have to duct tape fruit on the tree. The fruit can grow naturally <laughs> if we'll work on the roots instead of just focusing on what, you know, how things are right now and how they seem to other people. One thing that I found in my research, which is very simple, but it had a profound on my marriage and my parenting was the difference between moral authority and formal authority. And I, I don't know why I hadn't seen this before, But formal authority is where someone does what you ask because they have to or there's serious repercussions. So uh, like if the police pull me over, I'm not, oh, yay, you know, I got chosen. No, I (laughs) I pull over because I have to. Like when I pay my taxes in April, I do it because I have to. There's rarely a person who's like, yes, I'm so excited to hand this, you know, hard earned money over to the over to the federal government. These are people with formal authority. I do what they say because I have to. And then there's moral authority where I do what people, not even say, I do what people ask because I want to. Mm -hmm. Now, where do I want to parent from? Formal authority or moral authority? I want to parent from moral moral authority where my kids do what I ask them to do because they want to, right? Where do I spend a lot of my time? Formal authority. You'll you'll do what I say because I run this house, right? I'm in charge. You'll lose your phone. You'll lose your privileges. The problem with parenting or even uh, being in a marriage with formal authority is it breeds resentment and rebellion. And so my big question for me daily is if if my spouse or my children are not interested in following me as a leader, instead of going right to my formal authority and saying, well, you will because right here's this and this and this reason, I can stop and say, why? Uh-huh. What do I need to do to where I'm the leader someone wants to follow? Right? Nobody came into a marriage wanting to be a tyrant. No one comes into parenting saying, I'm so looking forward to people crying as they go to bed every night. Right? <laughs> so how do we become tyrants? I think we get tired. I think uh, formal authority gets quick results. Right? Oh, you want to lose super, your phone? Yep. Yeah, quick results. But moral authority is putting in the time to invest in this person with what we talked about earlier, frequent, personal, positive, low-risk interaction. Pretty soon, you know, people want to follow you as a leader. So it's the natural fruits of investing in a relationship is moral authority. So I don't know. I, I don't know exactly how that works in marriage. I studied quite a bit of leadership and in marriage, we're more of peer to peer, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. looking down at someone, but still the idea is my spouse does things I 
fulfills my needs, you know, does what I ask because they want to. Well, ask yourself the question, why do people do what other people want them to do when they have no formal authority at all? I can name a handful of people I would do anything for. Just a couple of a couple friends, one of my siblings, <laughs> not all of them. Well, why? And most common answer is they've done it for me. They've done anything for me. They've put in time. They've invested time in me. They've always been there for me. Well, of course, I'm going to be there for them. So as a husband, if I really want my spouse, if I want my wife to love her husband, right? Just, wow, Hank's the best. I'll do anything for Hank. He's so great. I've got to do all those things for her. I've got to be there for her. I've got to spend time with her. I've got to earn moral authority. Formal authority is given. Yeah. Right. I gave it to you. You're, you're in charge. You sign the paper. You're the boss. Right. Moral and if you, authority right. is earned. And if you want that kind of relationship, then go for it. Cause it's. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it, the kid turns 18 and never comes back. Yeah. Yeah. You can create that. You could force that situation and the kids will comply, but man, they'll be counting the days. And as far as a marriage, I mean, when you're asking, yeah, it's not really a parent child, a, a one up, one down relationship, but I'm, I'm amazed at how many times in my office, I've seen people kind of invoke the, we're married, you should be doing this. Like, yeah, you know, and yeah, th- there are some things that I think are, are givens, you know, fidelity for one. Um, right. There are some things that, you know, you definitely can expect and should be able to call out as far as like some, some pretty absolute things in a, in a marriage that make it a marriage. But beyond that, in terms of personal needs and desires, oftentimes there's a lot of mind reading. There's a lot of entitlement, a lot of demands. I mean, I'll, I'll hear people say things like, everybody knows this, that, you know, a wife or a husband should do this. And I think that really mm. operating from a place of moral authority is, taking risks and being open and expressing needs and and caring about what the other person needs and wants and asking good questions and I mean there's just so much of that that goes on which really sends a signal that that you're deeply invested in in helping this person get what they need and want and when that yeah. goes both ways it's a beautiful thing and people do it's it's very responsive versus hey I read the five love languages and I dis- I discovered I'm a physical touch person. So you need to do this for me because this right. book says it Ugh. and you're my spouse, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, uh, it, it, it's so similar to uh, the Bible where Jesus says, if you lose your life, you'll gain it, right? It's the idea in marriage. If you give your life, you'll get your needs met, mm-hmm. but you have to give in order to have that happen instead of take. If we have two people taking, it's never going to work. Remember the, um, the apostles are sitting around Jesus. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And and uh, if it's me sitting in that room, I start picking people out, right? I'm like, oh, it's got to be, it's got to be Thomas. It's got to be Mark, right? It's got to be, it's got to be Mary. It's got to be somebody in this room. Yeah. But they all said, Lord, is it me? And that's the, he had trained them well, Yeah. right? <laughs> is it me? What am I, what am I contributing to this problem? And that attitude is the attitude I think you were talking about there. Yeah. It's this idea of what do I need to do? to help this relationship, not do what they need to do, mm-hmm. right? Because so many times when I pray, it's not Lord, is it I? It's Lord, we've got this problem in my wife. How are we going to fix her? We're That's a right. team, right? Yeah. right. <laughs> I'm going to need your help. She's got to soften her heart. We Jeez. need a miracle really? here. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Versus uh, he's like, really? Because she says the same thing over on your on her side of the bed. So what, what, what should we do, guys? Um, so uh, yeah, uh, I think you're uh, just right on here that if you're, I want to earn my wife's, I just want to earn her heart. Yeah. Right. I want to win her heart. 
uh, That's right. week after week after week. And that actually is a pretty exciting marriage, isn't it? To say, how can I put this person needs first? And I, I'm going to win her heart. She's going to, one of these days, she's going to say, I have the best husband. And it works sometimes. Right. right. Sometimes. <laughs> right. And when you have two people doing that actively, I mean, I think oh. the, the natural fear, of course, is that you're going to do this and get taken advantage of. And, and sadly, that does happen. That does. Where, where one person is really conscientious. And the other person is, is just a taker and they, they just are not interested. And I, and this crosses gender lines. This is not just all men or all women. Like I, right. I've seen every flavor of this and it's such a tragic and, and lonely, scary thing to be in a relationship with somebody who is a black hole. And the more you give, right. the more you're, take. you're just going to get depleted. Yeah. And it's just, that's not survivable. It really is. And it's just such a difficult thing to endure. And so I, you know, if you're listening to us talk about this and you're like, oh my goodness, Hank and Jeff, like there's no way I could give I could one give more, more thing yeah. and serve my spouse. And I think sometimes, you know, in Christian LDS circles, like we'll talk a lot about serving and giving and loving and whatever else. And I, and I think in a, in a marriage relationship, I do think it's healthy to do everything we can and be vulnerable and give and serve and take care of. And like, I think President Gordon B. Hinckley said, really just focus on the happiness of our partner and, and do everything we can to make their life right. comfortable. I mean, those kinds of things are just so important, but if there's zero reciprocity with that, then there's some serious, right? There's this, this marriage needs more than an oil change. It, it, this is, yep. there's something serious <laughs> going on there and it's uh, not wise to let this be one-sided. And so if you are having to set limits and boundaries and rearrange some things, that's probably well-informed. Yeah. It's almost like the spouse is deliberately taking the oil out of the car, right? There you Sneaking go. out of there at night and just not, we're not on board. No. Right? There's no compassion there. It, no, there's no, yeah. no, no. So, and so many of the folks that listen to this podcast that reach out to me and so on, you know, they're looking for help and answers around what do I do when it's just me that cares? What do I do when, when yeah. trust is, when this other person, when I'm alone and trying to build this? Well, the truth is you can't build it alone. And so this is where, you know, it's important to have these really hard conversations and, and start to set expectations in a way that basically says, uh, trust needs to be rebuilt. We are so low on this that I don't, you know, I don't see how we can even be a unit or a partnership. And so, you know, there's definitely different levels, Hank. I mean, there's, there's the couples that are working on the connection end and just fine tuning. And so much of what we've talked about is that. And then there's these people that are, you know, needing the engine to get pulled and we need to really look hard at it. And if that's the case, then, you know, do that work. Don't be afraid to do it. It's not the end of the road. Like I said, couples are so resilient. Yeah. I'm, I'm amazed. I, oh, man. I can't tell you how that it just breaks my heart. The idea that someone, you know, it's like two people in a rowboat and we're trying to get to shore here. Yeah. And you're blowing holes in the boat. Like, yeah, you're deliberately hurting our, <laughs> our chances. Yeah. Versus we're both rowing together. Let's learn how to row together. Let's learn yeah. how to be more effective. Let's, you know, learn how to not do this way and, and get upset with each other. Right. Or someone who's deliberately trying to. Huge like, difference. Uh, yeah, huge. Huge difference, difference between being out of sync and, hey, you row faster than me. Or, I mean, I, I swear that's every marriage conversation with my wife and I. She's like, let's row really still and slowly and methodically. <laughs> and I'm just like banging the water with my oar, you know? Right. Yeah. Keep um, up. Keep up. Yep. <laughs> that's synchronization. That's different. That's teamwork. That's unity. That's fine tuning. That's the rest of your life. But like you said, and that's normal marriage. But boy, when you've got someone actively undermining your efforts yeah. or going to, or rowing a different direction because they, they don't want to, I mean, that can be so challenging. 
And yeah. uh, you've, you've done the work, you've been putting in the work and you yeah. see they're not going to respond. You're doing everything right. Sometimes people, I, I, Jeff, maybe you see this, that people are going to blame themselves. Like if I just did more. Yeah. If I wrote harder, uh, it'd probably yeah. be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if I just, if I was prettier or if I, you know, oh no, no, actually yeah. uh, this you've done that your side and then some beyond yeah. and you're just not getting it back. Right. And you're, you're allowed to jump out of the boat if you need to and reassess. You're allowed to right. take a break and say, I don't, you know, this isn't really working. Like this is unhealthy. And if, and if that gets their attention and they're like, Hey, come back to the boat, you know, then you need to row to shore and have a different conversation. I mean, yep. you can expand this metaphor lots of directions, but the point is, is that if you feel like someone's in, like working with you, then keep working with them. Yeah. If you, we, feel, you can make that work. Absolutely. If you feel yeah, like two someone people who are interested. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Keep going, go take some rowboat lessons, whatever, like figure out yeah. how to like keep this thing moving forward and, and it will be rewarding. And I believe you'll get there. And then if this other dynamic is happening that we've just uh, expounded on there, then that's a very different direction, but just as important. And I, I'm, again, I'm hopeful. I, I don't give up easily. I, don't, I tell my clients all the time, you're going to be the one that has to fire me from this. I, I'm going to fight hard <laughs> to keep this thing going. And I'm going to look, look for every possible way to save your relationship. And if you look me in the eye and say, Jeff, I can't, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm like, okay, like I, I'm going to honor that. I'm not going to but I just believe that there's a lot possible for relationships. And I think it's good for us. And even one that's limping along is still better in most cases than being alone. And life is hard. And so if we can make it work, let's make it work. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to tune in next week where we will have another interview for you from our 150 plus episode archives. We look forward to being back with you with new episodes very soon. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can stay updated on any upcoming announcements. So go ahead and click on that link in the show notes so you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. We want to stay in touch with you, keep you connected, and let you know all the great things that are happening over here. Thanks so much every single week for listening. We love having you here, and we look forward to connecting with you in the next episode.